Welcome on into the Monitor Sports Podcast. Eric Rinson Lobel here with Dana Torrey in the first full week of the Division II Boys and Girls Basketball Playoffs and the Hockey Playoffs. We've got a lot to discuss on this week's show. We'll be previewing the brackets for each of those tournaments. We'll also recap the weekend's Division III um, basketball results from our area teams that we covered uh, last week. And uh, we have some results from this weekend's wrestling meet of champions as well. So, Dan, let's start with the champion that we crowned in the area on Saturday. That was the Kearsarge girls basketball team winning the Division Three state championship, beating Hopkinton 38-27 for the Cougars' first state title in 22 years. Uh, Kearsarge was the four seed, Hopkinton the two seed. Kearsarge had upset number one St. Thomas 52-44 in the finals on Wednesday. Hopkinton had beat Winnesquam 51-33 in the semis. But on Saturday, Dan, it was Kearsarge's defense that really uh, led the way for this championship. They shut out Hopkinton in the second quarter. Hopkinton did not score a single point. In the second quarter, and after scoring 12 points in the first quarter, the Hawks were, uh, scored just 15 the rest of the way. So, Kearsarge really won this on the backs of their defense. But just a, a cool story. We we um, we didn't talk about this team much on the podcast during the regular season, but head coach Ed Tenney's in his second year of his second stint with the program. He coached previously from 1990 to 2008, then went to Sunapee to be the boys' varsity coach and then came out of retirement last year to try to get this program back on track. And as he said, they may have uh, turned it around faster than even he expected to. Yeah, absolutely. When I talked to Coach Tenney after the semifinal victory over St. Thomas, he was very impressed. He said that this is the most you – know, he's coached a lot. Obviously, we just went through all the teams that he's coached in the last you know multiple decades. And he had said this is as good as any team he's ever seen play. In the semifinal, Kearsarge, they never trailed. They took the lead from the beginning. Uh, St. Thomas had tied it 6-6 six to six in the first quarter, but that was it. They ne Kearsarge led wire to wire um, and uh, had opened up a lead to uh, double digits for a good a good chunk in the, in the second half before St. Thomas had gotten back in it um, a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Kearsarge played great. I mean, they were just locked in. The, the comment he said specifically was that you know, they were locked in the entire time. Um, they were incredibly focused and they didn't take off any plays. They went for every loose ball. I mean, every possession, every play was contested and they didn't they didn't let up um, for a very impressive semifinal victory. And clearly the same thing in the in the championship as well, um, holding Hopkinton scoreless for for the entire second quarter. Uh, very impressive feat to pull off, especially in a championship game against a high caliber team yeah, like yeah. Hopkinton is. But I mean, Kearsarge was just built for this. They have with with Tess Marinello, the game high 15 points, um, you know, leading the way on the inside who matched up really well against the Hopkinton size that they have down low. And then uh, Ava Shapiro and, and O.C. Ilg shooting lights out from three-point range um you know Kearsarge could score from everywhere and then play really good defense um in, in their own end as well so really a great a great uh performance by Kearsarge especially down the stretch and as we 
We hear coaches say all the time, Eric, it's hard to beat a good team three times. Hopkinton had beaten Kearsarge twice in the regular season, but couldn't couldn't finish uh couldn't finish the job. But still a great season for both teams. But I was very impressed with Kearsarge having watched their semifinal victory. And they were they were my pick going in. Um so and I'm not surprised to see them continue to roll the way they did in the championship game. So Kearsarge finishes the year 16 and 5, Hopkinton 15 and 4. Uh, just wanted to put a bow on Hopkinton season as well. Uh, the Hawks led by first year head coach, Mike Mahoney took a group that lost, I believe eight players from last year's final four team back to uh, now to a championship. Um, Shaley Murdo was their leader on the floor. Most of the year, as was Liz Holmes and Sydney Westover Westover had 19 rebounds in the semifinal. I think she had about the same number in the championship game. Liz Holmes injured herself in the semifinal, tried to play in the championship, but played maybe four minutes, if that, just couldn't quite uh, stay out there. Um, I think she had an ankle injury. She came back out after the game on crutches. So unfortunate that Hopkinton lost one of their best players to injury at this point in the season, uh, but still a great year for Hopkinton. And they're returning. Uh, Liz Holmes graduates, but at all five players that started in the championship game on Saturday come back next year. So would not be surprising to see this group back uh, in this position again this time next year. So that wraps up the D3, D3 girls postseason. D2 girls get underway on Wednesday. We have six area teams that qualified for the playoffs, headlined by Conquer Christian, which finished the year 17 and one and has a bye. So the Kingsmen will play the winner of Oyster River and Derryfield. That's the eight, nine game. Uh, Conquer Christian did not play Oyster River in the regular season, but played Derryfield and beat them 60 to 25 to open the year. So Conquer Christian, the favorite, I guess you could say going in, but there are several other teams to keep an eye on for sure. The first is Pembroke, which takes three seed after a 15 and three season. They're hosting number 14 Timberlane on Wednesday. Pembroke beat Timberlane 57 to 18 on December 19th. But Dan, we talked about last week Pembroke losing to Cole Brown. They also lost to John Stark in the final game of the regular season. So not the most ideal way to go into the postseason losing your last two games. No, and granted, John Stark is a very good team. Uh, we'll we'll talk about them in a bit, but you certainly don't want this is when you want to be playing your best basketball and certainly ending the season with a couple of wins, um, or ending with a couple of losses. I should say does not you know isn't the best feeling, but you know Pembroke's a, a good team, and I think uh, you know given how much they've beaten Timberlane by and just the difference between the two programs, I think Pembroke will take this one, but. Uh, definitely they'll want a big win. I think not just a win, but I think a big one to to get back on track heading into uh, what will certainly be a very competitive quarterfinal matchups throughout the division. Timberlane was eight and 10 this year and the Owls won two of three to close out the season. So maybe a bit improved from that team that lost by almost 40 points to Pembroke early in the year, but still a game that Pembroke probably wants to win relatively handily, maybe rest some of their players going into Saturday's quarterfinal. Uh, you mentioned John Stark, Dan. The Generals finished the year 14-4. and four. They're the four seed, hosting number 13 Milford, which finished the year 8-10. and 10. These two teams did not play during the regular season, but John Stark enters the playoffs playing really well. Generals have won 10 of 11 after starting the year 4-3. and three. 
Milford enters a playoffs play and not so well, having lost five of six. Um, and, you know, Dan, when you have the three seniors that um, John Stark does, you know, this is going to be a tough group to stop just given the experience they have and the skill level they have. I would agree. Out of all the area teams that we have uh, in the Division II girls basketball playoffs, I think outside of Concord Christian, John Stark is definitely the one that I have excuse me, the one that I have my eye on the most. Um, and I really like, I think what I like about John Stark is they, you know, they play really hard as, as, you know, most of these teams do. Um, but just the variety and, and the skills that they have on the team, you have Ellie Gerardette. I, I wish I knew how to say her name because we've mentioned her so many times, but you know, a matchup nightmare inside, which a lot of other division two teams don't have. And they have a lot of guards who can shoot. They hit a lot of threes in their victory against Bo and, and they've shot well outside in some other games as well. So I think given the variety of things that John Stark is good at, I think that will definitely be an advantage um, over some teams that maybe rely more on one particular area. Um, to do to do really well um and john stark has a really good point guard abby Duclos. so i yeah i i like john stark's um chances a lot out of all these area teams besides conquer christian john stark is definitely the one that i i think has the highest chance of going the furthest i would have to agree with you on that one i think you know i think we, we say this all the time that just experience is really the most valuable thing when you get to this time of year. It's not necessarily just who has the most talent. It's who has the most experience. And you know, John Stark wasn't great last season, um, but this team took a big step forward this year. They were playing really good basketball and I would not want to face them. We'll put it that way. And, and, and the thing too, with, with John Stark is they don't have, you know, you can't just watch them and think there's an easy way of, slowing them down because you have Day who can play in the post. She can shoot a little bit from outside and then Abby Duclos who can shoot from anywhere. So you can't really key in on only one player. You need to worry about two or three um, and they can beat you from multiple spots. They're good at multiple things. So that is not a team I would want to play in the postseason at all, but Milford will have to on Wednesday uh, moving down the bracket, we have number six, Bo, hosting number 11, Merrimack Valley, a double local game. Bo finished the year 13-5, and five, MV at 9-9. Nine and nine. Uh, These teams did not meet during the season, but Bo won 5-6 of six to close out the year. MV won 4-5 of five after a four-game losing streak, so two teams entering, playing pretty good basketball. Dan, I imagine that this is going to be a game that does not see a lot of points scored. Both pride themselves on defense. Uh, Bo particularly has played very well defensively lately. They allowed an average of under 35 points to their opponents in the final six games of the season. Um, and just having watched MV earlier, they're very much defensive minded. So uh, it should be a grind of a game. I'm not sure that you could say Bo is heavily favored in this, even though they might be, they, they're, they, you know, probably should win the game, but two teams that, that are going to really try to grind each other down on Wednesday. Yeah, I think in when you're in these defensive battles where the scores are very close, I think it's going to come down to, you know, which team shoots better, like which team takes the, the most advantage of the open looks that they get. I don't expect that either team will have many of those um, in teams that are both very strong defensively. Um, so whichever team is going to hit those open shots when they get the chance is going to be the team. I think that takes it. Um, and that might not be a big difference if we're expecting a, a low scoring game 
in this one. But MV, you know, they're five hundred, but they've beaten some they've beaten some good teams. I saw them, you know, play Division One Concord, who almost made the playoffs, fell just short. But I saw MV play Concord very tough in the championship game of the of the Capital Classic and Bose had some big wins down the stretch. They've won four out of six, uh, five out of six to close out the regular season. And uh, I believe the one loss in that was the 10 point loss to Conquer Christian. I think that was That's a somewhat correct. recent game. Um, so, I mean, I, and I, I would have thought that would have been a much more of a lopsided victory um, for Conquer Christian based on what I had seen from them. So I, I think, this this could be anyone's this could be anyone's game. This is definitely the closest of the uh prelim games that we've broken down so far. I think the one thing I'll say about Bo is the Falcons have lost five games this year, and all five losses are to the teams above them in the standings. So they've right. consistently taken care of business against the teams below them and then pushed some of these teams like Con Christian um in their matchups. They've been able to win. So that's the thing that I think you don't see that a lot. I guess you'll say that, right? Like we'll see, we'll talk about the bow boys team where they've beaten some teams above them in the stands and lost the teams below them. Bow girls team here has beaten everyone. They quote unquote should and lost everyone. They quote unquote should. So uh, this is a team that's taken care of business when they've needed to. Um, and, you know, they've made two straight championship games. So a lot of different players, different coach, but still yeah. we're in that, that has some experience making a deep run. So Bo will host MV on Wednesday. And then the last area team that will be playing number 10, Cole Brown. The Bears finished here 10 and 8, playing at number 7, Hanover, which finished 13 and 5. Hanover won the regular season meeting 47 25 back in early January. But Cole Brown seems to be a different team since then. Bears have won four or five to close out the year, including that overtime win over Pembroke. But Hanover also comes in hot, having won seven of eight. So six teams from the area in the playoffs. We could have more double local stuff coming in the over the week. This weekend, the winner of the Bow and V game will play potentially Pembroke if Pembroke wins over Timberlane on Wednesday. So we could get a, a good matchup there. Um, but lots of action coming our way on Wednesday and then Saturday, the quarterfinals for the girls' playoffs. Um, just wanted to mention in Division One that Concord narrowly missed. The postseason, despite winning its final game on Friday over Dover, 35-32. Concord finished the year uh, 8-10 and 10 after starting 2-8. and eight, But just based on tiebreakers, um, they were not able to make it into the playoffs. Uh, 14 teams make it in Div Division One. Concord was tied for 14th with, I believe, Nashville North and South. But just based on what the tiebreaking formula is, Concord did not qualify. So the tide season and Bishop Girton was eight and yes. nine. And if I, you know, if definitely getting helped by playing one less game based on how the tiebreakers play. So if Bishop Girton plays that, you know, plays that, that 18th game, you know, and they lose that, you know, who knows what that does. Um, and then Keen Alvord and Exeter right above them all at nine and nine. So you have seven teams separated by one game in the in the standings but really an impressive way for Concord to end the year after starting two and eight definitely a rough start not the start that um they were hoping for but you know this is a really good senior class and and they played really well and you know barely uh just narrowly missed it um, but still a, a good season for the tide a very strong finish 
And it's going to be a, this is going to be a very different looking program next year. Um, head coach Rob Darrell has decided he's not going to come back, um, which is not terribly surprising. He had said last year that he wasn't sure if he was going to come back for this year. Um, for those that don't know, he was the assistant coach with Tim Latoro when Latoro was the girls varsity coach before taking the boys job. Rob stayed on to coach the girls last year, stuck around this year because he's knows the senior class pretty well, but he's going to be done. He's done now after the year. And then when you have five seniors um, on this roster and all five of them started on senior night and they weren't just starting. So a senior night, they're generally the starters. So this is going to be a very young team next year with a new coach and might be a bit of a rebuild, but uh, this year after starting two and eight um, impressive to come as close as Concord did to making the playoffs. So that's girls basketball on the boys basketball side of things. I uh, just wanted to wrap up the D three bracket for with Kearsarge. We talked about their win over Hopkinton last week, their run came to an end against number one Conant after a 35 30 loss in the semifinals on Tuesday, Cougars end the year 17 and four after a four and 14 season last year, quite a turnaround for Nate Camp's team. We've covered, we talked about them a lot the last couple of weeks. We've I've written about them a couple of times. Um, but Dan, we, you know, we, we, we've discussed how, how impressed this turnaround was, but just couldn't quite get past Conant, uh, even though Kearsarge was the only team to beat Conant in the regular season. Yeah, Conan just has such a strong program, and they've got you know a a, a coach and a and a team that's won. I couldn't even count how many titles they've won over the last couple of decades. So it's always really hard to play Conan, regardless of what situation they're in. Remember, Conan was the team last year that, as the number uh, eight or nine seed, almost beat number one Guilford, which is one of the best, probably one of the best Division three teams New Hampshire's ever had, with with the Reese brothers. On it, Conan almost beat them last year as a as a much lower seed. So Conan is just always going to be a team um, that's going to be a team you have to keep an eye on in Division Three, and then there's no shame losing to them. Um, but for Kearsarge to turn things around the way that they have in in a couple of years, it's been a very up and down cycle for for Coach Camp. Where just a few years ago, Kearsarge was you know playing in Division Two championship games and and sending players to Division One colleges and you know now they're and then they're back in d3 and and having some tough years and um been very up and down but to see them back in the final four uh you know it was very exciting and i think a lot of these players will see back um i believe uh noah whipple uh potential player of the year um candidate in division three is only a junior and uh kearsarge got a lot of different players involved so i think we'll we'll see them see a lot of them back next year so i think here's sarge is in a good spot moving forward yeah that game on on tuesday just to wrap up with that was not if you like offense that was not the right game to be at and quite honestly i think so that game had 26 combined points at halftime the uh, conquered girls basketball game on friday against dover had 26 combined points at halftime and the girls' championship on Saturday between Kearsarge and Hopkinton had 27 combined points at halftime. So it was not a banner week for offense um, among area teams, at least that I was at games for. Um, but uh, Kearsarge just couldn't generate enough. Conan, as you said, really tough to play against. And Conan lost in the championship game to St. Thomas, but the final score of that game was 38-34. So not like offense was really uh, big in that one either. 
Um, but again, Kearsarge's season comes to an end with that loss in the semis, and the Cougars finish the year 17-4. and four. Let's talk about the D2 boys playoff bracket. We have four area teams out of five that made the postseason. At the top, Pembroke snagged the three seed after a 16-2 and two regular season. They're going to host Oyster River, the 14 seed, which finished 7-11. and 11. Um, Pembroke won the regular season meeting 62-56 in early February. Pembroke enters the year, uh, the postseason on a six-game win streak. Oyster River enters having lost seven of eight. But, Dan, as we were talking about before we started recording, Oyster River was the 14 seed last year and reached the semifinals. They upset number three, Sauhegan, and number six, Cole Brown, to get to play Pembroke in the semifinals last year. So obviously the the math and you know probability is not in their favor of doing it again, but this is not a game that Pembroke can take lightly, especially considering they only beat them by six when they played a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. And Pembroke, they've you know they they've only had a couple losses, but and they've been held to very low scores in those losses. So um, you know the shots need to fall. They usually do for them, and they usually fall in in droves. But you know they're they're going to have to fall when they count. Um, <clears throat> So I would certainly favor Pembroke in this one, but after seeing what Oyster River did last year, I think they, yeah, as the number 14 seed last year, as you said, um, yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to show up and, and win them all at this point. So. And it's not just showing up. I think there's a lot to be said in these games of getting up early because the longer you let a team like Oyster River hang around, the longer they believe they can win the game. And then the more trouble you're in, because all it takes is a fluke foul call or a fluke shot or something weird to happen and your season's over. So I think it's imperative for, for Pembroke to come out and play really well early because again, like, you know, Oyster River did this last year, not saying it's the likely outcome because it wasn't the likely outcome last year when it happened, but it's possible and you can't let a team like that hang around. So I think that's something I would certainly pay attention to in that one. Same deal with the Co-Brown game. Number four, Co-Brown will host number 13, Kingswood. Co-Brown 14 and four, Kingswood eight and 10. Co-Brown beat Kingswood twice during the regular season, 52-39 and 64-35. Uh, the Bears ended the season three and two in the last five games. Kingswood lost five of eight to end the year. But again, you know, we talk about beating a team three times in a season, you know, going up into a playoff game as the four seed against the 13. You may overlook your opponent, but can't do that when he hits this time of the year, Dan, as we know well. Um, Cole Brown relying much on its defense to win games as they usually do. And that's not going to change when they host Kingswood on Tuesday. Yeah, you know, Co Brown also, we just talked about, they were one of the teams that uh, fell victim to that number 14 Oyster River team last year. So, you know, they, they remember that and they don't they don't want to have a repeat of, of that in an even earlier round. So, yeah, I mean, but especially with a team that's as defensive-minded as Co Brown, they definitely need to, you know, make take advantage of all their opportunities early. They like to score and, and transition and they need to, they need to sink all of those early on. Um if they're going to, you know, if they want to feel good about this one. So the the other team in the area, they'll be hosting a D2 boys playoff game. Bo, the seven seed at 12 and six, hosting number 10, Sauhegan, nine and nine. Uh, these teams split their season series. Bo won 72-64 on January 18th. Sauhegan blew out Bo 63-31 on February 8th. Um, the Falcons lost three of five, including back-to-back games 
at the end of the regular season, Sauhegan lost two of three to end the regular season after an eight-game win streak. But, Dan, we mentioned this. I think we talked about the Bo-Sauhegan game, which Bo lost. Sauhegan's a very different team right now. They started, I think, 0-7 or 0-8, then 1-8 in a row because they got their best player back. And so they're not really a 10 seed, if you will. I mean, this is a, this is going to be a tough game for Bo at home on Tuesday. Absolutely. This is uh this could definitely be uh, an up an upset in terms of the seeding. If not, um, you know, people know that Sauhegan is a very good team and they've they've had some big wins in the second half of the year, including the 63-31 win over Bo um not even three weeks ago. So I, I think for the Falcons that start three sophomores, the Falcons are a team they have to like you were saying. This is a team, especially they have to get up early and if not be up, they have to be in it. They can't be behind. I think that's going to be really hard um, <clears throat> for a team that doesn't necessarily have as much varsity experience. If if you fall behind early to a Sauhegan team that that knows they can beat you um, because they've done it before. And uh, I would imagine coming in with with a lot of confidence, given how they played the last time they met and given how well they've been um playing in the second half of the season so it should be a good game um but i think in this one especially Bo is gonna have to stay in it the whole time they can't fall behind they should you know i think you know i obviously they want to but i think for Bo leading leading and holding on to a lead as long as they can and and not being behind by more than a couple possessions i think is going to be uh especially important for a team that's lower on varsity experience than a lot of the other teams that we're talking about in the tournament. So speaking of potential upsets, the last game we'll talk about with boys basketball, at least is number 11, Merrimack Valley finished year eight and 10 playing number six, Laconia, which finished year 12 and six. Dan, we've said this before. I don't want to play Merrimack Valley in the postseason. I mean, this is a team that they, they seem to play up, and down to their competition. They beat some good teams this year. They lost to some not so good teams this year. Laconia didn't see MV yet. So this will be a new matchup for the, these group, these teams. Um, MV alternated win loss over the last six games in the year, finished three and three in that stretch. Laconia won five of six, but I don't know. They just kind of play a style of basketball that I would not want to see. And we've seen it before where MV may not have the best record, but Tim Moocher seems to be able to find a way to get his kids to show up in these big games. And that's what Tuesday night's going to be. Yeah. Laconia and MV played in the quarterfinals last year, a game that Laconia won in overtime. It was a very exciting game. I was not there. I watched the live stream of the game, but I could, you know, you can hear the the fans. The place was packed. It was a, it was a great, great playoff atmosphere. I think this is a game where it's going to come down to who can who can stay out of foul trouble. I think this is a game that I would imagine that there's a lot of memories of last year uh, on both sides coming back into this one. Um, Laconia has uh, Keaton Beck. Uh, uh, I think he's 6'8", and he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's a big target in the middle. He's a really tough matchup. Um, MV does have some good size on their team. No one quite that, no one quite like that, but they have some good size in their team. So I think the key for MV 
is going to be they can't they can't get players into foul trouble, especially if this is another tight game that is going to go right down to the wire or potentially overtime again. They're going to have to keep all their best players on the floor, and if they have a defensive scheme that works, that can you know contain Keaton. Beck and and hold them in check. They need to keep all of those guys out on the floor, and and they can't be given up a lot of fouls. And you know, given how some of these games are are called, you know, some of them really let them play. Others are called very tight. Um, I think that's gonna <clears throat> that's what I would say. This one comes down to is who who stays out of trouble, um, and who can keep their best players on the floor the longest. I think is what um could make the difference in this one, but. I mean, MV, I'm curious to see what they do because they've they've done really well against some very good teams. They've had defensive schemes that have <clears throat> really kept some very strong teams down. So we'll see what happens. But I, I think this could be an upset. There's no question that this could be an upset. I mean, MV, the only team that beat Hanover this year, Hanover finished here 17 and one. They're the two seed because Pelham also finished 17 and one. But Again, they, this team has shown, at least the two years that I've covered them, that they play up and down to the competition, and now it's time to play up to your competition because you're, you're an underdog. So uh, certainly one to watch as well. So that's the D2 boys playoff picture. Again, the first round games on Tuesday night, and those quarterfinals will be on Friday night this week. We also had hockey brackets released, but fewer teams from the area because there are just fewer hockey teams generally Concord, the three seed, did not think we would be saying that this time last week, but at 14-3-1, Concord dropped two spots from first to third after losing its last two regular season games, 2-1 to one against Keene and 3-2 to in overtime to Hanover. That was the second time Concord lost to Hanover. Dan, if you're Dunk Walsh head coach, I mean, how worried are you about this? Because your program hadn't lost a regular season game since, you know, three years ago, roughly, when they lost Hanover a couple of weeks ago. And now you go into the playoffs with a younger team having lost two in a row. Yeah, I mean, he'll have them. He'll he'll have them prepared. I think, you know, even even when Concord was winning all of these games and even when they were going undefeated, they still were not blowing teams out a lot of the time. They still needed to have a bunch of different lines on the ice and they still needed to have people, um, <clears throat> you know, you still had to do well in, in all the games and and they had some close calls also throughout that streak. It's not like they steamrolled everyone to get there. I think what's going, what bodes well for Concord this year is the fact that they have a lot of different players involved and they have a couple of different lines that they can roll who, who have been, contributing a lot offensively so i think you know in, in the sense that's an advantage that this year's group has over last year where you did the math on it once 80 percent, 90 percent of the offense went through went through brooks craig something like that so uh in that sense i would you know i would not be i would not be worried because they're gonna have to go out and play well just like they do with all the others they they haven't you know, they've had a lot of close games, um, even if they have been winning most of them. I will say, though, that, you know, this is a pretty wide open division. <clears throat> you know, they play the winner of number six, Bo, number 11, Exeter. Exeter beat them in the third place game of the holiday tournament. Um, Exeter lost to them two to one um, early in the season, five to two in the second matchup later in the year. But I mean, they're the number 11 seed and Exeter's had some big wins and they've beaten some of these teams and Bo is the number six seed and they've had some good games, but they've been very inconsistent and they've lost some games. They've lost some 
some bad games, frankly. You know, they they lost to Manchester 5-0. They lost to Londonderry 11-2 all within the last, <clears throat> excuse me, two weeks. So, you know, I think this is a wide open division. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily be worried if I was conquered. They know they're going to have to come out and play well, like like they have in, in all the others. Um, so I think... You know, I, I still like Concord's chances. Um, I think Bo Exeter is going to be very interesting because um, Exeter beat Bo 4-2 to two to open the season on December uh, December 13th. Um, Falcons finishing the year 4-9 over the – sorry, 4-5 and five over the last nine games of the season after starting the first half of the season with a 7-2 and two start. Um, but Exeter also losing three out of four to ending the season as well. Um, I think I've heard that Exeter has a couple of goalies and depending on who's in, they, they sort of, you know, live and die by who is in net for them. That makes a pretty significant difference, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, Bo will have the benefit of if Bo wins and they end up playing Concord on Saturday, it will also be on their home ice as both Concord and Bo play at Everett arena normally. So I think that will be an advantage if Bo can can get there. But you know, it's it's all about consistency. I mean, it's a wide open division, and we've seen some very strong play uh, and not great play from all of the teams in Division One throughout the course of the year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what ultimately shakes out. Yeah, I think the thing with Concord to wrap up with with them is that the the, the buy I think makes a big difference. They don't have to play on Wednesday. They get to have about a week a week between games. They can get back out on the ice, kind of work on some of the issues they've been having. One of them, particularly offense, they only scored four goals in the last three games. Um, and the power play has not been great, according to what uh, Coach Walsh is sending in. I'm going to be talking to him later this week, so I'm curious to hear how things are going in practice. And, you know, this matchup that they're going to see, whether it's Bo or Exeter, because as you said, I mean, they only beat Bo 2-1. to one. Exeter beat them in the holiday tournament. And even, I mean, I covered the 5-2 win over Exeter, and Dunk said then, like, this is not a, I think they were seven to nine at that point. Like, this is not a seven to nine team. They are way better than seven to nine. So this Saturday is not going to be an easy one. Um, but, you know, Concord has that history of finding ways to win these types of games. So we'll see if they can get regrouped this week before playing Saturday afternoon. Girls hockey had two area teams make the playoffs. Concord's uh, took the final playoff spot as the 11 seed after finishing the year seven and 11. They will play Exeter, the sixth seed, which finished 13-5. and five. Concord lost to Exeter 6-4 back on February 9th. And the tied end of the playoffs having lost 7-9, of nine, not the recent streak you want to be on. Meanwhile, Exeter enters having won 6-7. of seven. And then Bishop Brady, Trinity, Londonderry, the eighth seed after finishing 9-9, nine and nine, hosting number 9, Kingswood Prospect Mountain, which finished here 8-9-1. and one. BTL started the year two and six, but finished by winning seven of 10, including a win over Kingswood uh, 3-2 on February 14th. But Kingswood's also been playing well lately, 4-1-1 one, and one in the last six games. So hockey playoffs, girls start Tuesday, boys on Wednesday, and then the quarterfinals, girls Friday, boys on Saturday. That's the hockey playoff situation for you. Dan, why don't you wrap us up with some results from the wrestling meet of champions from this past Saturday? 
Well, wrestling meet of champions were Saturday at Bedford High School. We had one area state champion. That is Bose Adler Mora. Uh, he won the title at 113 pounds, his first state title. Um, he after finishing as the runner-up in the previous two years, finally getting that elusive MLC crown. It's been a big season for Mora. He's in uh, the state champion at the meet of champions. He's the division three champion, division three's outstanding wrestler, and then a captain of the uh, division three team champion, Bo Falcon. So it's been a big year for him. He will continue on to New England's as will Concord senior Griffin Norwalt, who was the runner-up at the 126-pound division. He was Concord's best uh, finisher, at least on the boys' side, that day. Also advancing to New England's uh, locally, Bo seniors Josiah Funches and Joe McDowell advancing to New England's. Funches finished third at 157, and McDowell finishing third at 175. Bo finished sixth as a team they were the best team at the meet of champions i believe they were the uh, top non-division one team i think division one swept one through five and then Bo was next and then john stark eighth and then conquered 11th among area teams that had competitors at that meet also want to shout out Bo's madison beauregard uh, the girls state champion at 185 pounds her second state title for the second year in a row the meet of champions are also the girls state uh also they had the girls state championship there as well uh they had wrestlers from 24 teams i counted 43 entries this year about the same as it was last year in terms of the total number of girls that competed um last year beauregard uh, was the only competitor in her division and automatically won the crown this year there were four so uh, beauregard winning a couple of matches to take that championship uh, so congratulations to her all the coaches this year spoke about growing numbers in wrestling um as a whole but then also more teams sending girls and and uh, more girls competitions happening at some of these major tournaments so we'll see how that continues on to next season um but more of funches and mcdowell from bow and uh, norwaltz from concord all competing at new england's in rhode island this upcoming Saturday. So, Eric, that is probably the last non-basketball uh, and hockey talk that we'll have until we do a Players of the Season podcast and and put a bow on it. But uh, here we are. We are down to down. We are fully in playoff mode. Yeah, two weeks of games. We got a busy schedule again. Lots of area teams that are going to have games. We will be at as many of them as we possibly can be over the next couple of weeks, uh, starting with the first round boys and girls basketball and hockey games in D2 and D1 this week. So for Dan and Tori, I'm Eric Vincent LaBelle. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.